0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to our next episode of Chat and Chill with Super Hill. I'm your superintendent, Dr. Terrell Hill, and today we have a special guest from Windsor High School, the extraordinary educator, Ms. Deja Brabham, and I'd like to welcome you first and foremost, Ms. Brabham, to the show.
1: Hi, everyone.
0: Okay, so we're going to get right to it, all right, but before we do, tell us a little bit about you. Where are you from? How'd you get here? You know, what, what brought you to Windsor, what when? Wind? what highway, whatever.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm originally from New Haven. So that's where I grew up and kind of where I kind of started my teaching career. I always am, to be honest, what brought me to Windsor was Lily's because I was coming up here all the time.
0: That is a, a soul food spot in town. <laughs> <laughs> so she <laughs> came here following collard greens.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I was like, so that's when I first kind of started coming to Windsor a lot. And then I had a good friend who actually went to school here. So I think that's what kind of inspired me whenever I saw the job posting to um, come on up and. See what was about, see what was going on here. All
0: right. How long have you been here with us?
1: Um, I came here last um, October. So about going into my second year. Cool.
0: All right. So
1: first of all, we,
0: like you just came last October and already you've been uh, selected as teacher of the year from the high school. Uh, who'd you pay? <laughs> how, how'd that happen?
1: I don't know. I think, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you don't know? <laughs> um, so how do you feel about that? Yeah, i I think I, I feel really good. I'm, I'm really. I think I'm excited about the honor, but I also kind of feel like a lot of the credit really should just be given to the students in terms of what they've been able to accomplish um, in the class, in my classes throughout the last, you know, and during my time here, and the work that they've been able to do. I kind of see myself as more of a facilitator for that, but obviously, I'm really excited to receive the award.
0: Well, it, it, I think it's a big deal, right? Because your mm-hmm. colleagues actually are the ones who will select you. And so for you to only be in the neighborhood for a little over a year and folks think enough of you to say, no, she needs to represent our, our high school. And you could potentially, um, if, you're in, if you're in the running for the district teacher, you could be district teacher a year in less than two years. Mm-hmm. I think that's amazing. Yeah. So we got this little hot commodity here at Windsor High School. All right. So you don't know how to just get one award. You like to keep collecting things. <laughs> so now my understanding is that you also, let me get this correct, right? Um, You've been awarded the CCSS or the Connecticut Council of Social Studies Award, 23 Excellence in Social Studies Education. That's a long award. (laughs) <laughs> what is that?
1: So that award is uh, given to um, teachers who kind of demonstrate um, exemplar leadership um, in the classroom, but not only that, but also outside of the classroom, which I'm really proud of just because I think, um, you know, over the last two years, I've been really excited to just be involved in a lot of different legislation and standards rewriting um, across the state. Um, so I'm really proud of that award as well. Uh, but more kind of about what, how much that has just been reflected in what I've been doing over the last two years. So the work is kind of paying off, I guess.
0: So being out, you said leading outside the class, So what do, you, what do you do? You leave Windsor. Other than grading papers, what is Deja doing? Like, so how are people seeing you and noticing you? How, how did you rise to this public uh, position?
1: So, um, well, I guess the first thing and when I leave here, most of the time I'm going to teach again. So I teach at Southern, oh, um, so okay. I teach US history and I teach in the teacher preparation course there. Um, but I also work, at, I'm a part of an anti-racist teaching and learning collective down in New Haven, um, which has kind of been working on working with teachers on implementing the black and Latino studies course in addition to working on advocating for not only teachers but our students in terms of what education they deserve and how we can kind of move together in community to make those changes changes.
0: So I know from my, my own experience that the courses that you teach and the, the work that you're doing, um, it's not easy. There's a lot of pushback. That's the nice way of saying folks don't like it and they're going to do everything they can to stop you. So what inspired you to go in this direction? Because this, that's, you know, you may not give yourself a title, but that's definitely a warrior, no pun intended here at Windsor High School, an <laughs> um, an activist, you know, you're out front there. You're leading the charge. So, what inspired you to do this kind of work?
1: Um, I think that's why I really came into education. I, when I, I think I originally started off as being someone who's really passionate about history, which is still reflected in my work, um, just based off of the courses that I teach. But I think when I came into education, I really wanted to be a change maker, um, and really kind of reflecting on my own background when I got to college there was so much that I had to unlearn. And I just kind of said, how do we stop kids from having to unlearn? You know, how do we start making changes in our, um, you know, changes in our education system? And I think that's only just been exacerbated in the aftermath of COVID, of just really seeing kind of the inequity that we see um, and how students really should be getting those authentic learning experiences. And so I kind of just said, you know, Let's just let's just go for it. We can make the change. There's no point of not doing it. I remember when I first got into education, people used to say, you know, you can only control what's in your classroom. And I'm kind of like, why, though? Why can't we move forward and make start making changes? Um, And so that's why I think what's been motivating me throughout the last two years.
0: So you brought up a concept that um, I'm familiar with, but maybe our our listening audience may not be. What do you mean by unlearn? Um, That sounds kind of counterintuitive going to college where I had to unlearn.
1: Yeah. You know, I think that's also been kind of the, I think the unique part of my background is just that so much of my early years, my early profession was focused on historiography. Um, And then going into the classroom, I'm kind of like, why is this historical record that I know so different, you know, from the one that you see in the high school or even element, even I'm thinking even elementary. Um, And so trying to figure out what's causing that disconnect, like why aren't why isn't the real history being told? Um, you know, I'm thinking even, for example, like in activism, um, cross-cultural solidarity. Those are the topics that I'm trying to cover in my classroom that are usually not talked about. Right. So
0: you going down the street that we're, we're going to keep going down that street. <laughs> so when you talk about like, why am I not taught this? So I'll start the trouble. For instance, so we grew up here in America. You take your history class and you hear that President Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves. Mm. What do we not learn that you now know? Or what did you not learn in public school that you unlearned or expanded your learning when it comes to that particular
1: topic? Yeah, I think, and that's actually really interesting. I grew up, like, but that was when I was in eighth grade. I loved learning about history even then. And I remember being so obsessed with Lincoln. Um, I memorized the Gettysburg Address. Me, my teacher was—he did historical reenactments, but I still think about that class that I never—he never once taught a story on slavery, not one lesson. And I can't understand so, how you could and get. And you learned it. about Lincoln, the entire Civil War, but I knew about the. the
0: you didn't say what the Civil War was about, or <laughs> allegedly about, or one. <laughs>
1: not once, not once. And so, growing up, that actually was something that I became really interested in. Is just, you know, how are we? pitching history to our students, because it's not that, you know, Lincoln is an interesting character and in that he isn't necessarily the abolition that he was pre- portrayed to be. Um, and people knew that even during that time period. Frederick Douglass, for example, said that he was, you know, in many words, he was the white man of his time. The exact right. words from Frederick Douglass.
0: The, the archetype.
1: Is Yeah. And so how can you know but in that i think that's the other thing that i've been really interested in is how do we get students to understand that and make meaning of that right you know so often when we're in our history classes we teach it through this victims villains victors right the victors are the lincolns and you know the villains are these slave owners like you know but then within that you have the victims or the people who are marginalized that never really are seen with any agency and so what I've been interested in is how can we tell the actual story with nuance and complexity that really teach students how to make meaning right so I'm not in my classroom saying let's just throw out Lincoln but let's contextualize him let's see him for who he was and understand the the kind of the times um, and then more focus on the collective activism that came out despite kind of Lincoln right right because you had a lot of black abolitionists and free African Americans who were living in the North, who are fighting for themselves, right? So why are we not telling that story?
0: I, I like that, right? It's um, it's sort of the uh, both and,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and because you're right, we're always taught like, so even I don't I don't want to mess around, but let's tell a joke, right? Even the brothers and sisters that are woke, and we know that word is taken on a whole different meaning now, right? Or at least not taken on different meaning. Let me change that. It's been co-opted. That's mm-hmm. what I'll say. Um, but everything Lincoln did wasn't terrible. Mm -hmm. Right. And there is some seed or foundation as to why someone could spin a story about him that way. So what I've learned uh, in my studies of history and and in my education over the years is that, okay, while this person isn't the the God or um, the perfect being, this thing was of benefit. Right. And there are times when folks will do something not intending to necessarily help you or, or someone else. But it does, you know, in some kind of way help people. Um, but then, why not talk about the other folks, right? Because, like in in the American uh, history realm, it's always they gotta have that superhero, right? I think about like the mm-hmm. the folklore with the the Paul Bunyans and the you know Daniel Boons and all that, and it's like one you know, singular person doing all the amazing things when we know that almost everything of any consequence in in the world takes a number of people. So I appreciate Mm -hmm. the fact that you like, I'm not throwing Lincoln out, right? Because people say, Lincoln didn't do this. I'm like, okay. But as the president, had he not supported this law or did this Mm -hmm. thing, you may not have had the opportunity to do this other thing, right? So Mm -hmm. you don't have to give him all this credit, but you can use what you can use. And then at the same time, you can talk about people who were doing the work
1: outside, and, of, and, that. Right,
0: outside of that. And so I, I I appreciate that, right? That you're just not like, let's just wipe everyone out. And mm-hmm. um, and I'm not saying I'm the big Lincoln fan. You know, actually, you know, and everyone got their flaws, but I'm actually a big fan of uh, Benjamin Franklin.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: I think he should have got a lot more love in American history than a kite in a key. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, so, but that's that's for may That may be another episode, right? We'll just like, we'll go down a hysterical, uh, Yellow Brick Road one day. So, all right. So, bringing that attitude to your classroom, how do you perceive your students perceiving you as as a teacher? Like, how do how do they receive Deja or you know Miss Brabham? How do they receive you with that attitude? Because that doesn't sound like the atypical history teacher approach.
1: Mm. I think what hopefully my students kind of get from me is being kind of, again, seeing more as a facilitator of their learning, and then hopefully seeing kind of just a different someone who is there to help empower them and affirm their experiences. Um, I think that's what my hope is when I'm in the classroom is just that students kind of walk away. I'm like, you know, you. Some things you're gonna just be able to Google, right? Right. Um, But these meaningful learning experiences that I really want you to have are things that kind of transcend that. Like it's not just about learning the content, it's also about like, how are you going to move about in the world? Um, You know, how are you gonna learn how to advocate for others, you know, look at a variety of different sources, how to, you know, come together collaboratively, because that's such a a big part of the classroom as well. So I kind of hope my students see me as a part of their learning community, um, the community that we're kind of building together.
0: So if I hear you correctly, and please correct me if I, you know, restate and it's not what you meant, you're, you're not trying to be that bastion of, you know, knowledge of all things history. Like, come to me and I will, you know, douse you with my incredible knowledge, right? Rather, you're opening up this journey for them to start looking on their own, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, when I was teaching, I called it uh, owning your education, mm-hmm. right? So I, I was I taught math and I taught uh, business, uh, business courses. And I always wanted students um, to ask why.
1: And mm-hmm. I've been a
0: critical thinking instructor as well at the college level. So even my leaders here in the district will say, when you ask Dr. Hill a question, he's gonna say, why? Why do you think? What would you do? Um, because I've learned from educational mentors that that helped me own my education versus waiting for someone to just say, "Here you go," mm-hmm. you know, like dump everything. You know, we're not some receptacle waiting like trash for people mm-hmm. to just dump something in, but question the information that's coming. Uh, when you say looking at sources, right? Mm-hmm. What's what's a valid source? People want to Google, right? That's a big. And, and you know, you argue people, Google's not the source. It's just a, a compilation with their own algorithms of mm-hmm. whatever they come up with when you search your particular topic. But find out if that's a valid source. And then even question that. Why? Why did people say that? Or why is this site saying that? Why, you know, I, I always make the joke, why does it three out of five dentists recommend, like, who, the, who are the five dentists they talk to? And did you pay them three? Like, mm-hmm. you know, did you get paid for the research? Um, this foundation puts out this white paper but they were given $6 million by that organization. What do you think they're gonna write? Mm-hmm. Um, if we look at history, right, and we're getting a lot of argument, and I didn't want to say it, but it's it's gonna come out. So this, this podcast is probably gonna catch a whole lot of interest. We have a lot of folks that are talking about CRT. For sure. Around this country. And I have to say, every time I speak to folks, I've been to tons of conferences, lots of educators, professors. We all seem to come to the same conclusion. It is not being taught in K-12. Most folks, I'll back up, most folks even mentioning it have no real concept of what, what, they're, talking, it is, yeah. what they're talking about. Um, I've shared with folks, even as late as last week, I did a dissertation, uh, you know, PhD dissertation at a Research One university, and I came across the ideology and the information around CRT while I was wrapping up my dissertation so I'd, all the stuff I had read for so many years in all my degrees, no one—I never signed up for a course in CRT. Mm-hmm. When the 200 level, 400 level, 600 level, 800 level—I never had a CRT course. So I was literally um, baffled when I started to see people talking about it nationally. Like, and then you see clips and clips of school board meetings around the, you know—the country, people fighting and arguing. You're teaching our kids—I I don't understand. What, what are your thoughts on that?
1: i have a lot of thoughts i have a lot of thoughts on that i think just share
0: some we can have a a second episode don't worry we do that another time let Um, let people get hot off of this one
1: yeah i think the conversation around crt i think represents a decades centuries long trend of whenever we see you know carol anderson has this really great book called white rage but when she's talking about it she's talking about specifically kind of political like political backlash um, and so to me I think we are seeing a lot of different changes in our schools and a lot more of an inclusive but it's really kind of again that truth telling that's there that's what's happening and that's what people are kind of reacting to but I think my response to that really is that I'm not really teaching my students anything that they don't know Right. And so for anyone who's afraid of CRT, when me and my students are talking about inequities in the healthcare care system and one of my students says, oh, well, I understand because my 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 mom was afraid to go to the doctor right or talking about the inequities that we see in our um in our criminal justice system the inequities that we see in our education system I'm not teaching or I'm the, I'm help, I'm giving my students a space to talk about what they see we all see it right and so I think there's that's the one piece there but I also think there's another conversation about how are we how is this conversation impacting white students which I think is also equally detrimental Mm -hmm. right because white students want to know what whiteness is too because whiteness is also constructed in the way that blackness is constructed and so for me i think the conversation about crt is just really fruitless (laughs) There's no point of really um kind of fighting back against it and i also think that what i would recommend for everyone to do is just to kind of think about what has kind of kept me steadfast in the last two years is what my values and my goals and what are what do i know is right for the students that i serve um and then sticking by that you know and i've had you know i've been able to talk i've spoken to kimberly crenshaw the founder or kind of like thought and i think she feels the same way of how can we also not be reactionary and how can we kind of stay keep steadfast to what we know is right right and i don't think we also i don't need to speak our students are speaking right Right. The black and Latino studies course didn't come out of a legislative house. It came out of the activism work of students Mm -hmm. and students are saying that they want this. And so anyone who's saying that they're protecting them isn't. Right.
0: right? Quite frankly.
1: Yeah. Quite. You're not. Right. Because the students themselves are saying that. And I think it's actually to me. Just one, historically accurate, but to some extent, educ almost educational malpractice not to engage your students in truth-telling right i'm quite frankly not telling the truth if i'm not discussing the inequities that we see and so the question is what do we do about it right and so you can even be on that conversation or what do we do about it or you can be protesting something that you don't understand
0: so I, i appreciate the uh i like that term as well educational malpractice um because that puts it in a a a very serious context because people will talk about doctors and lawyers and you know with such you know great affinity and like admiration and respect and i think a lot of times educators don't garner the same level of respect as professionals um but i'm also you know big on saying educational institutions are set up to convey culture in a a particular society so they're needed because you want folks in your society to operate a certain way however um as you're saying throughout history in any culture things change. It doesn't Mm -hmm. mean the apple cart is completely upset, but maybe you're getting a couple of different types of apples on that cart now. Mm -hmm. And the idea that students don't know something, um, I think not only is it a disservice to to students, I think it's disrespectful Mm -hmm. because you think that they're not that bright. And young people today probably get a hold of information way faster than we ever did. I mean, I know for us, If you didn't have the Encyclopedia Britannica, and Lord help you, you had to be making payments, right? You you were stopped at R. You were waiting for the next payment so you can get the other ones. And then that information, like textbook information, is printed like four or five, six years earlier. Students can go on their phone and yes, Google or any other search engine they wish to, you know, Yahoo or Safari, and someone's compiling information. And as I said earlier, you got to be clear on what's valid or not, but either way, they have information. And then just anecdotally, they see it in life as you said, the student has said, you know this happened to someone I know mm-hmm. um, and when you t- you hear folks and you know I've heard arguments around the country um, they're very passionate and I, I just kind of shake my head every time I see it. I'm like, I don't really even understand what they're so passionate and angry about like mm-hmm. w- what do you think is happening to your child and and then my white students, so I've had the I now see it as a privilege initially I didn't but I've had the privilege of teaching in all-white districts where I was the only black teacher in the entire district. And I've always been me. So I'm straightforward no matter where I go. Sometimes I want to be quiet. I don't know why I can't ever be. But, you know, I taught my students, I'll say, so this is how this is done. Because even though I taught business, there, there's the a- inequities are in business.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm
0: like, so you can go for this particular opportunity, small business loan. I'm going to have to jump through some hoops. And I would show them you know, through data and research how like, time and time again, when people say, oh, we're doing this for these communities. You know, you know these uh, terms, I just had a discussion with some opportunity zones. Yeah, you can call it opportunity. All that means is that you have a greater opportunity to start a business in my community because you're gonna get access to the monies and the resources to build your business. I, I'm not gonna get that. Mm-hmm. But you've determined that this is a good fertile place for you to make money, right? And so, but young people see that. Mm-hmm. They, they know who gets what. I remember an experience right here in Windsor High School when I was a vice principal, um, and I was the first black male administrator in the history of the town, and didn't realize it was going to go all the way through my whole career here with the town. Um, and students said to me, like, my, my black friends get treated differently with discipline, Mr. Hill. I'm like, what do you mean? I said, watch, we're going to show you. They did their own experiment, two students. They said, we're going to do the same thing in class, watch the white student said watch them send me to the counselor because i must need someone to talk to black students gonna be sent to you for discipline but in a couple of days they did it and demonstrated it. and i'm like i forgot about the conversation they said remember what we told you this is what we're here for we were horse playing together i get sent to go see a counselor he's in front of you for discipline as much as i knew even before that point that that's a real marker in my educational you know experience as an educational professional that and I've talked about this in conferences and on panels right like these two students and I'm still connected to one of them and I'm like and it's been almost 20 years that's what our society is all about the inequities are still there folks know it they don't want to talk about it so the more noise you make what is it, Shakespeare I know you're a history teacher right but mm-hmm. uh, I do believe the lady do protest too much mm-hmm. so when you fuss a little bit too much, What's going on? Why, why are you so upset about this? Mm-hmm. I teach in my leadership classes, I teach uh, people who wanna become school administrators at UConn, right? Uh, when a paradigm is gonna shift, the people who fight the hardest against the paradigm shift are the people who are benefiting the most from the current paradigm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So as soon as you put up big arguments to me, I have to look at you and go, hmm. Because it's either what do you have to lose? If you have nothing to lose, you say, nothing, I'm all for it. Then why are you arguing so hard, right? I don't think anybody would argue to say, you know, we're going to turn this slave ship back and go back to Africa and let y'all off. Who was going to argue that one? None of the slaves are going to argue it, right, if that were the case. I don't think anybody would argue if they said, you women don't have to march. We're going to give you the right to vote because you should have the right to vote. Why, why are we even denying you that? No one was going to argue and say, no, we want to protest for it. People are going to take what's beneficial to them. So I think— what you said about, you know, the whole argument around CRT, you know, you can't see her face, ladies and gentlemen, but she had that, like, exasperated look, like, I really don't even understand this discussion. And <laughs> that's pretty much how pretty much everyone who understands even a little bit of CRT, that's what they think, too. Like, this this is not a discussion.
1: Yeah, and I also and just think the other piece of it mm-hmm. is, you know, there's, a, there's another piece, too, with just the kind of trend is just, again, keeping oh. students from the historical record, but also, like, thought right you know that people people of color are capable of thought and producing thought and producing ideas and to keep all and that's another piece that i think i've tried to really emphasize that we all kind of are we all are we all are done poorly when inequity exists right we all are kind of like you know, and, and I think that's been shown historically and it's shown today and so for me what I'm trying to get the students to kind of figure out is how can we work together in communities right? and that's the big piece whether that's in our classroom community our school communities, our Windsor community state community, how can I be an active or advocate for change right? Um, most of these students are not going to become historians and they're not going to be necessarily like you know talking about CRT like in their spaces but you know they will have some hopefully have some model of how can I be different right how can i make a change and make those small steps that we can just so that we can end up in a more equitable society that is going to happen right you know we are pushing that trend and so you know any chatter on the side you know we are going to start to see we are pushing for just towards justice and that hopeful message is one that hopefully our students are getting is that yeah like all that stuff can happen but we're still gonna keep pushing for change
0: I think about the um, the documentary, Eyes on the Prize. Mm-hmm. So you just keep your eyes on the prize. Like, and, and that's what it all is, right? It's noise. And, you know, the term white noise, it's just noise. And, you know, you can't be distracted, right? You have to keep going. And, you know, I, I laugh because I have to talk to so many different people in so many different realms. And there are days when I'm really, like, energetic about, okay, we can talk, right? It's like basically entertaining foolishness. And then there are days when I have no... No energy for foolishness whatsoever. I feel like my grandma. Like, boy, I'm I'm too tired for this foolishness right now. So, <laughs> he's just like, leave me alone. Um, but let's let's pull it back a little bit. So, the the Black and Latino Studies course. Yep. Um, I am I am so happy to see it. You know, in motion. Um, I was part of the committees to look at the curriculum. You know, years back. After, you know, after it was approved, and it was cool. To, you know, discussing it. With uh, other various educational and thought leaders across the country, so it's in the house. How how are students receiving that course?
1: They love it. They love it. They might not always like, you know. They might not always like want to like get like, you know. They might be tired or something. But that's you know, I have I've had a lot of different visitors in the class, and that's probably been the most inspiring piece is that they all kind of have. It's just shown in their dedication to just getting that kind of like, you know, engaging with the activities that Mm -hmm. we've been doing, but also just how they speak about the course. Um, The fact that students are willing to write letters and and advocate and talking and like hey like I said hey we want you know eighth graders to take this course now and they're like yeah let's go to Sage Park let's go tell them to sign up everyone should be taking the course I think that's what's been most exciting about it but also just think, thinking about how this course can really be a model for how we approach history statewide I think mm-hmm. is really important especially as we see more and more inclusive changes happening with Asian American studies indigenous studies um, pushing forward so I've been really happy about how the course has evolved over um Evolved here in Windsor.
0: So, do we have our white students taking the class?
1: So, I will be honest. For the last two years, there have been, um, you know, predominantly students of color. Um, But I think even within that, you know, I think there have been a lot of different models. I know in Westport and Staples, you know, I've I've worked with a teacher out there who's done a lot of great work with students who are predominantly white taking the course so and that's happening I've yeah. worked with a teacher who's in Killingsworth who's teaching the course Been into, mm-hmm. Yep. so that so the course is happening but here I think what's interesting is that a lot of times people kind of like oh yeah there's like a bunch of students of color but just because they're all students of color don't mean they all come from the same place right you have a, I have one student who's like really proud to be Afro-Latina who's really excited to have a space within the curriculum to express that identity I have students who are Jamaican students who are black mm-hmm. you know some students like I have one student who has a um, step mom from latin america and just how this course has been able to kind of include their discourse has been great um so i think that's just been the powerful part of the course is that all these students are feeling reflected in some shape or form um but also being able to get into dialogue about the meaning of that right um you know it's not like we're just spending the whole time talking about we're talking about colonization we're talking about enslavement we're talking about modernity right we're talking about how do we be? how are these practices modernized, you know. So it's just really exciting. <laughs> and,
0: and you know, and I'm um, tongue-in-cheek here, and, and you're not sending a bunch of students out of your class, like, angry at the world. No. Right? Like, yeah. I, I would think, like, how are they responding to you, like, exposing them to this information? Because you said so many times now, you're facilitating their education. So how, how are they responding when they learn about colonization and then the, mon- the modernity, or, you know, I call it the uh, colonization 5.0, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... I would think that they would take that on and decide that they want to be you don't have to say activists but as you said a little while ago they want to make changes from their sphere of influence
1: Mm -hmm.
0: right so how is that harming anyone that you know
1: and i think that's the other thing but i've been hope it's it's so much more effective when we tell a hopeful song when we sing hopeful songs. And, Say that
0: again, please.
1: Yeah, it's so much more inspiring when you sing a hopeful song. And it's not as if we don't talk about the inequities in our healthcare system, the criminal justice system. We don't talk about colonization and its impact. But I think what I've been trying to do is how do we teach also the story of how people have been able to change that, right? So when we talked about enslavement, they looked through the WPA narratives and were able to do a close reading exercise of where are people resisting in their small ways, right? Whether that be singing Negro spirituals out in the field or, you know, slowing down production right how are people being able to resist and I think that's also just been explained like just today when we did the oral history interviews uh, for activism of speaking to activists right like what does activism look like you know so much when we talked about the civil rights movement being able to see um, the young lords and their community activism or the Black Panthers and their community activism and how people were able to kind of go across lines and work together that's a hopeful song, right? And that's really what happened. It's not just a fluffy part, right? Um, communities have always been working together um, to make change. All of the topics of oppression that we discuss, people were fighting against it. You know, so I think telling their stories is a lot more productive.
0: And, um, and even when you said the uh, just the Black Panthers, right? I remember. Um, my daughter, when she did a report on the Black Panthers, all on her own—that's what she wanted to do—and she did that in fourth grade. Mm-hmm. You know, went in and gave her a report with her tam, had her—you know—I still got that picture. And the superintendent was like, the teacher was nervous. And the superintendent at the time, Dr. Cook, like, it would be your daughter, right? <laughs> and she watched the documentaries. You know, it was on during Black History Month, and she—I think it was like three nights—and she watched all of it. And she said, I want to do a report on this. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and we've always allowed her to explore. All of that, so she, you know, sometimes I know she's been frustrated with school because it's like, they're not talking about nothing, right? Because I always wanted my children to have a more open view. And so when people say Black Panthers, the narrative around them is like, oh, black Middletons. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that, like, that uh, she learned and I had known for years, it's like, that's why we have school breakfast and lunch programs. Yeah. Because of them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: See, So people don't, when they don't really know, um, and they weren't only talking about just feeding black kids mm-hmm. right so and and when we talk about as well um the the um the integ- the integrated uh, efforts of people from different groups and different backgrounds mm-hmm. um people who are struggling are people who are struggling and it's always been that way throughout history right as you were talking all i could do was visualize um the different with the, at the time they called them what the clans and tribes right in the british isles right so Whiteness can bring all these groups together when when it works for them, but at, at some point in history, you were an other or you were in the out group, and you fought for something, and other people fought with you. And so I like the idea of having a course that teaches students to see history for what it is, but then make the decision that I'm going to be one of those people who are going to fight to make changes in my own way right? Like everyone's Mm -hmm. not going, like I tell people all the time, I ain't walking down those streets wearing out my nice shoes, right? But I use my position to advocate for change and to make change where I can and not be afraid. Even when I know it's not comfortable and I know there are going to be folks who are going to have issues with it, Um, but you have to. And the thing that drives me in my most fearful moments is that someone did it before that I will never meet that's why i could actually be sitting in this seat right now
1: yeah Yeah. and there's so many other there's so many you know, this is something I also, talk. there's so many great stories to tell, right? There's so many, there's so many, there's so much legacy that we all stand on, so many shoulders we all stand on that, you know, it's important that students see reflected, right? And that includes white people, right? right. I think that's the other piece, like, I, you know, the, we did a chalk talk around the classroom and just looking at all the different organizations, the Black Panthers, the Young Lords, and the most interesting one to the students was the White Panthers, right? That I had no idea about the until who? there was a White Panther Party. That were um, launched because, and I know this because of our brilliant um, educator here, uh, Mr. Cooper. Um, mm-hmm. But apparently, Stokely Carmichael said, "Hey, what if if white people want to help the movement, then why don't they start throwing Panther Party?" And so they did, and they worked together collaboratively. Um, you know, so I think that's the other piece is that so oftentimes when people are having this discussion about race, one they see it as kind of uncomfortable, and it mm-hmm. doesn't have to be comfortable. It can be celebratory, and it can we can push forward. Um, but I think also. So, you know, I, I remember I lived in I lived in England. I did my masters in England, and the stories that they all wanted to focus on were stories of like slave owners and like you know, c- you know, colonists and people who had committed like mass atrocities, right? right. And I remember being in, in this discussion where someone said that like you have so many other examples of what you want your kid to look up to, right? Like what do you want your kid to emulate? And so why not emulate? People who took a chance, right? Mm-hmm. Like people who to make it made a change. Why hold on to kind of like these stories that don't necessarily even reflect people's own values of what you? I, I wouldn't want to teach my kids, right? Um, so I think that's the other thing is how do we tell new stories? to our students um that hopefully bring about that change and kind of focus their efforts in on how can we create more equitable systems right We and, and i'm talking a lot about people but we also don't talk a lot about people in my classroom we talk a lot about systems right changes um and how to get into discussion about that um is a lot more important
0: well because y- you don't have to say people right we i think you know when you want to as a critical thinking instructor people when they want to own an argument or discussion they have to find um anchor points that I, I call it like, you know, intellectual filibuster, just keep you frustrated. Because Why are we talking about this? That's, that's not relevant. When we talk about a system, so when you talk about systems, people who would argue against you or try to be defensive would say, well, I don't do that. Well, you're not a system. You're a person, mm-hmm. right? I spent about 12 years doing diversity and equity work, um, working primarily with police departments, um, the military, Fire departments, you know, a whole lot of blue-collar groups, and if you're familiar with them, you know, people got their names on their chest and most of them are not African American or Latino. And so, you know, other, you know, initially you hear some stuff from them, but then eventually, during the course of my training, it would soften because what I would look for is the commonality of our lived experience versus, you know, like y'all people did this to me, and you no, know, like why do you like that person? Why do you get along with that person? You know, I remember one example I gave police officers. I said, so who's your partner? You know, um, Jose. And I said, are you guys close? Absolutely. He's the godfather of my children. I said, so you're a good old Irish boy and Jose is the godfather of your good old Irish children. So if something happened to you, he's responsible to make sure they're raised well. Absolutely. You trust him. Absolutely. He's a good guy. And I said, is it possible that he came from a family that has some more good guys and some good ladies? Or is he only a good guy because he put the uniform on and the badge? And you know, in that discussion, they're like, never even thought about it like that. They're like, I never even thought about it like that. I'm like, so what it's really about is relationships, right? Like here, let me hear your story and you hear my story, not listen to it as though it's some tale, but really hear it. And I tell people when you wanna really hear me and when you hear someone, I said, do you wanna, do you just wanna listen to what I'm saying or do you wanna really hear what I'm saying? And they're like, well, what's the difference? I'm like, for my definition, Terrell Hill's definition, Dr. Hill's definition, <laughs> right? When you are just listening, that means you, your auditory systems are working. The sounds are coming in, you're picking up words. You, you, It's been heard, like you listened. But when you really hear, all of that happens and then you go and you do something as a result of the things that were said, it causes you to take action. That's when I'm like, do you hear me? Right? Simple terms. If my young people listen to it, they go do the dishes, baby. You listen Like, "Uh uh-huh. Got it. Go do the dishes, baby. I hear stuff get put down. You commence to walking toward the sink. Now you heard me because action was taken. So I, I look for that. And, I'm looking forward to coming in your class. I really am, because I'm like, you're going to have to throw me out. <laughs> I can tell you that now. Don't be worried because I'm superintendent. Feel free to say, Dr. Hill, get out of my class. Get out <laughs> of my class. Because I can already tell I'm going to be all up in a discussion, right? I, I, this is what I like. Um, this is why, why I've always liked, when I was here as a vice principal, um, I used to do evaluations in the social studies department. So if I could find a good discussion, never found a good discussion I could, I could walk away from. Because um, I, I love seeing the students, their eyes get big. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like to me you're doing the very thing that I love with education in general, you're helping them make connections, Mm -hmm. right? If they can connect this piece of information to something that's current or even something from another discipline, now they have truly learned it, right? Because they've embraced it from all angles and all sides. Um, Too often in education, and again, I'm talking, you know, globally, we learn pieces of information in isolation. So they're like free floating objects. And so it it doesn't really mean anything, right? Mm. So um, Lincoln freed the slaves. Oh, okay. Mm. I can either embrace that wholly or I can reject it, but it still doesn't mean anything by itself, right? Earlier you said it needs to be contextualized. Um, my favorite, Ben Franklin and the Kite and the Key. And I'm like, I remember even being a little kid like, so some man decided one day to go stand outside in a lightning storm with a kite and a key attached to it. That, and teachers would literally, that would be the lesson. Mm.
1: They
0: would talk about electricity and all that, but what does that mean?
1: Yeah, how like, do you make meaning Right, of it, it? It
0: had no meaning, and I'm like, this is, you know, you get your A, because you just regurgitate the information. Um, and I didn't really gain a deep appreciation of him until I went to the Ben Franklin House Museum in Philadelphia. And my children didn't enjoy it because they want to get back to the hotel and swim. But I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm a nerd. So I'm like reading everything, right? I didn't know he did the almanac, the farmer's almanac, mm-hmm. right? And he had the suit in him. And I I was like, what? This dude negotiated trade agreements with France and, you know, helped us in the Revolutionary War, cause of his skill set, some of it he ain't publicly want to talk about it, but he had a skill set that helped. <laughs> so I'm like, we didn't learn like history would have been, who would have left a class like sounds like yours? I would never want to leave that class bell can ring i'm like "Mm -mm, we good (laughs) bring my lunch i'm gonna stay right here and think about it if we had if and i'm hoping from this podcast right whenever i talk to teachers um i'm not just trying to laud or applaud the teacher that's on the other microphone i'm trying to inspire colleagues you know to to do the same in their own disciplines in their own genre in their own areas like make your class a living breathing thing for students And then the little things that only a few people fuss about will will virtually disappear. I virtually had no discipline issues, right? One of the things that's talked about in education all the time, in my classes. And people are like, why not? I'm like, well, I was teaching business, and I don't know anybody yet who don't want to know about how to make money or how to handle money better. So I never had a problem. And I talked about real stuff. I didn't just talk about a spreadsheet. I made real connections. Hmm. He worked at McDonald's. He make minimum wage. He going to work 10 hours. How much are you going to make? He got to take away, you know, FICA. Who's FICA? We're going to tell you about FICA in a minute, right? Federal taxes, state taxes. So he comes home with this. Now he want to take you to the movies, girl. Movies ain't got expensive. It's $12 a person. She's like, he already only down to $20, Mr. Hill. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So that means y'all getting one popcorn and one drink. Are y'all ready to share the same straw right now? Now let's talk about some health concerns. right? So I would just make kids laugh on little things like that. That wasn't the lesson. The lesson was about budgeting and money and understanding gross income, net income, right, deductions. But you throw something cute in there that lives in their world, Mm -hmm. and they leave like... Boy, you got to do more than 10 hours at McDonald's. That don't work for me because we can't go to movie sharing a cup right yeah and then i like throw something in like girl if you got a big pocket we could bring some sodas in there <laughs> yo no, no i don't do that no more i don't do that no more so,
1: <laughs> yeah but i but... think what you're speaking to is i think i say this a lot is just that i think a lot of times students are saying like i want we want to learn about us and i think a lot of times people think of that as kind of a superficial like we just want black representation or latino representation some pictures on the wall but really what they're saying is they really want to have they want to make those connections like they want to learn about us like our time our language how we're communicating and i I think that's when you're able when students are able to see that reflected back at them mm-hmm. all students are able to benefit from that you know just being able to have discussions about them you know like at the beginning of the year we did a project on indigenous and African like modernity so how our indigenous culture and African modern um, culture reflected today and I had students who have made you know we're um, analyzing beyonce videos we're looking at Mayan references in video games and looking at like you know different cultural artists who are going on dressmakers but they were able to see like wow here's me literally taking the past and making Making it my own mm-hmm. right and how how is that seen but again they, they did it <laughs> they were excited for it right. they were looking forward to it because they they were able to make meaning of it as opposed to it just kind of just you know hey this is what happened hundreds of years ago like I mean you might find that interesting you know I, right. I love Look, I'm we love a museum but like you know not all haven't met
0: one I didn't like right?
1: <laughs> exactly but not all students are gonna like that And so how do you make it to them and that's I think the model moving forward and then how do you get them to work together to do that? You know, that student to student connection also needs to be developed as well not just a teacher to student.
0: So ladies and gentlemen, you've heard it straight from the mouth of the amazing Ms. Deja Brabham. And I wanted to say this, she's here at Windsor high school in (laughs) Windsor, Connecticut, not at yours, his, or theirs magnet school, Windsor (laughs) high school. So if you anywhere else other than Windsor high school right now, this is that education that you're missing out on. Mm-hmm. Again, this is Dr. Hill chatting chill with Super Hill. If you didn't know, now you know. Thank you, Ms. Bravo. Thank
1: you. Ben-Sams.com.